And welcome to a very special Father's Day edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we are so blessed to be with you tonight. So folks, tonight we are going to honor the Father, and you may be asking yourself the question, why are we listening to this awesome ballad from David Gates? Those of you who lived in that era, it's still a classic to me, of the group Bread. He was the main writer, musician of the group Red. Anyways, this is why we're listening to this song. Um, he wrote it on the occasion of his father's death. What a time. What a time. never said too much, but still. So, folks, we're inviting you to join us right now in honoring our fathers in this week that precedes Father's Day, this coming Sunday. And uh, we already have some great stories from some of our listeners who have emailed them to me, and we're prepared to share them with you. But uh, it's live. You get to share with us your stories right now. If you want to call in at any time, you can interrupt us. We give you permission to do that. 877-275-8098. And let me phrase it this way. What is a short story? story or example of something your father has done to impact your life? What's a short story or example of something your father has done to make a difference in your life? It's a night that you can really call in and honor your fathers. And do we not need to uh, express that honor, to proclaim the honor of fathers? And we don't need to say much about how the media portrays fathers. The stats are out there. The portrait is out there. We know that certainly motherhood and mothers are in crisis, but as we look at fathers, uh, clearly there is an absence of regard in the media of uh, God's design for men to be godly men, godly husbands, godly fathers. And uh, so this is one way that we can address that. Um, so 877-275-8098. And even if you want to email me, you're not a call-in type. That's cool. I'm going to give you my email right now, and I'll try to get to that also. That's alive at massimpact.us. Alive at massimpact.us. Before we pray and go there, though, a commercial, and I'm going to keep it kind of brief here. So uh, we know that we need to defeat the enemy around us. And there's nothing so powerful as a proclamation. Proclamation changes the atmosphere. The right words can change the negativity. It can be sunshine that breaks through clouds. Well, I want to invite you to join us in imagining. What if? What if you listening right now joined us in this region 
in proclaiming a simple phrase, I love my family. If we saw it on billboards everywhere throughout this region, if we had magnets on the back of our cars, I love my family. Yard signs, I love my family. If that inspires you, not just to proclaim it, but upon going to ilovemyfamily.us, which I am directing you to go there. It should be easy enough to remember, ilovemyfamily.us. If you go there, you're going to find out more about how we together can be a voice proclaiming, I love my family. Does the world not need to know our love of our families, which is so under attack today, right? So join us. It's a positive message. It's an uplifting message. If you go to ilovemyfamily.us, you'll see the event coming up August 12th. It's more than an event that we wanted to continue um, into resources that will help our families live this, et cetera, et cetera. So 877-275-8098. We want to hear your honor of your father, something he's done to impact your life, or email us at alive at massimpact.us. Join us in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, in this very moment, we are so moved by the awareness that you came to reveal that we have a heavenly Father who is not distant, who cares about us, who made us for himself to inhabit us by his Holy Spirit. And we yearn for that relationship, God. We yearn to see, Lord, that through the imperfection of our own fathers, that your glory, in fact, was made known through them, their care of us, their love of us. However imperfectly, God, we are grateful for the ways you've loved us, that if we're listening to you right now, God, it is through the love, selfless sacrifice of a father in some fashion. And so, Lord, we unite our hearts in praying the words our Lord taught us, in hopes for a revival, a transformation, in particular, of men to be aware of the great dignity God has fashioned in them, for them, of them. Our Father, who Lord art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead, and lead us, us not into temptation, temptation but deliver us from, from evil. evil. Amen. Mm-hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. So again, folks, you're tuned to Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. And the theme is Honor Your Father. We want you to join us in this by calling in and sharing your short story or emailing at live at massimpact.us. We've got some stories we're going to be reading very shortly in just a moment. But first... We think we got to take the first step. Steph and I are going to take the first step and share respective stories about how our lives have been impacted, short stories of how our lives have been impacted by our fathers. Ladies first. Well, as I always say, Gregory, I always sidetrack the direct directive. Yes, dear. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about your fatherhood and uh, the first story that came to mind. Listeners, we are very blessed with seven children, six on earth, one in Mm -hmm. heaven. And our youngest son, Dominic, from the time he was a tiny, tiny little guy, just had this amazing, extraordinary awe of Greg and just loved his dad more than anything. And we have videos of, you know, just this interaction that I would be having with him as his mother and loving on him and kissing him and tickling him and and I would say to him, who loves you? And without hesitation, he'd say, daddy does. <laughs> so it was like this beautiful, you know, just no strings attached, unconditional love. And um, 
in ascribing supernatural powers. Yes, which brings me to the story. So we are from Erie, Pennsylvania, which gets a ton of snow always. And it was the World first... World record this past year. Yes, it was the first snowfall that Dominic must have remembered seeing in his little life that he was at least able to express. And so he came out from his bedroom with his, you know, boom, 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 because he never walked. He was always running. On and a mission. On a mission. And he looked out the um, our picture window in our living room, and he looked at me with this incredible uh, look of delight, and he just beamingly, that's a new word, beamingly, smiled up at me and said, Mom, look what Daddy did. <laughs> but I'm bummed. So all good things, you know, came from his dad, mm. which it was right away my heart just, you know, was filled with such joy, literally, because I thought, gosh, you know, we introduce God the Father mm. to our children mostly through the relationship and interaction with the earthly father in those first few years. And I thought if Dominic could have, you know, even a little bit of this as he gets older, you know, directed toward God, the father, Mm. um, what an awesome, amazing privilege space we've been in to introduce him. And of course, I'm not letting you off the hook to share a story of your own father, but just a quick segue on that, Stephanie. We fathers who are listening right now know the great challenge of handing that baton off uh, to God the Father in heaven as our kids get older, as they recognize our deficiencies and our faults. Uh, and it is somewhat of an existential crisis, right? That they discover that we are less than patient at times, that we can uh, <laughs> go ballistic sometimes, that, you know, we are very flawed. And hopefully they hear from us um, that, you know, hey, I need God the Father, and I love you. I'll always be your earthly father. And he put me on this earth to love you and lead you and pray for you. But, you know, I want you to know this Father. Father in heaven who is truly perfect. Don't let my limitations and my shortcomings, and I would say this to the kids early on, don't let my shortcomings stand in the way of you knowing the Father in heaven. So Steph, share with us a story of your father. So lots and lots of stories come to mind. You get to pick one. Um, Well, my favorite story about my dad um, and something uh, that he taught us all, I'm one of 12 children, and as many of our listeners know my story, um, our mom passed away when she was only 39 years old, pregnant with baby number 13. And the age range of the children at that point was three years old to 17. So my dad... And you were um, number 11, age five. Yep, I was five years old. And um, she passed away on a bus trip to Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, just very unexpectedly, very quietly as she was sleeping mm-hmm in the middle of the night on the trip down there. And so my dad came back, you know, to raise all 12 children um, on his own and just a very simple, hardworking man. Didn't make a lot of money Mm -mm. to face 12 kids. But evidently um, very faith-filled and, you know, taught us that God is faithful Mm -hmm. and he is good. And we may not always understand, but he is in it. And um, so... I remember vividly the first day that I was going back to school after my mom's funeral and, you know, everything that happened in those few days. And I was at the public school. The Catholic schools didn't have kindergarten back then. And I started a little bit later than everybody else. And 
again, cracks me up that we walked to school <laughs> by ourselves, Age five. you know, and didn't think anything of it. But um, anyway, so everyone was gone and except my dad and um, my little brother was staying down at my grandparents' house for a little while. And um, so my mother always had a rule that the girls could not go anywhere with their hair straight and straggly was the phrase that she would use. And which I'm having daughters of my own now just means that she wanted us to brush our hair and knew if we had to put something in it, it would get brushed. So my poor father's trying to get me, mm. all of us out the door by himself for that, that first morning. And I'm resisting him because I was always the obedient child ha, 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 and said, you know, I'm not allowed to go to school with my hair straight and straggly. And I always had my hair done. My mom would always do in ponytails, which as a little aside, I thought were called honkers because my nine brothers would pull on them and go honk, you know. So my poor father was like, oh, you know, so took, takes the brush and, you know, is going to do my hair and just can't figure out how the heck to get these rubber bands, you know, neatly in. And so kind of throws down the brush and walks out of the bathroom and I'm standing there just kind of crying. And, and he came back in and very lovingly finished brushing it. And in his hands, he had two bread ties, two twisty ties, mm. a red one and a blue one. And God bless him. He figured out a way to get my hair in ponytails using these bread ties mm. and off I went to school. So just kind of the simplicity and you'd kind mm. of work with what you have and you put everything you got into it mm-hmm. and, um, and you go from there. So that was the first story. Beautiful that I story. Of my dad. And of course, uh, our youngest, our oldest daughter, Anne Marie, uh, really not even a year old, um, at our father, her father's deathbed. Her mom had already passed away, and uh, all the family gathered around. What a profound, moving experience! Hospice in her house, and uh, counting down literally the days, hours, and minutes in prayer, and the many stories that were about that. But just you know, I I bawled uh, the moment obviously passed away, and it was an odd combination of. A, a kind of sadness, but a profound awareness of a life well lived, like a saga, an epic of a simple man, not known to many for many things, but very well known to his children and having passed along and, and you know, navigated this earthly life well. And it's then that the phrase came to me that um, I will share with good friends uh, who lose loved ones. And I remind myself this all the time is simply he desires us to be with him far more than we desire him to be with us. And that's the truth. Any of us who've lost a loved one, think about that. They desire us to be with them far more than we could possibly want them to be with us. And we're all on this journey. It's, it's in, it sheds a light on the journey, the path we're all on. And so we have an opportunity now, right now, folks, to honor our fathers. To, to take this time right now and proclaim uh, that which could be powerful for others to hear. And we have a number of stories we're going to share here. And again, uh, 877-275-8098 to share your short story or example. Or email us at alive at massimpact.us. But I'm going to share my story. So I am really one of 13. i got to explain that. Seven of us living. One who lived a few days tragically through, uh, really, I'll say medical malpractice, unfortunately died. And then um, miscarriages. But I will say that um, as a family, very Catholic, very faith-filled, even praying, you've heard me say, prayers from the heart is solid Catholics early on, was unheard of. Um, But when I was, I was the second oldest, when I reached post-college, 
Um, a number of my brothers, there were six of us boys and a girl, so seven, uh, had gone through all there is to go through. I'll just put an asterisk there. Those of you who lived in the 70s and 80s know what I'm talking about. Went through it all and pretty much had surfaced through those that era to kind of discover that the compass was true and good and, and to make good decisions. Generally, we'd come to that point. Anyways, my dad in his life was a hospital administrator, very respected, very involved in pro-life things, and my parents involved. And he um, tangled, I'll put it that way, with um, some forces, powerful political forces who wanted to go against the hospital's written declaration that there would be no abortions in the hospital. And an unruly doctor in particular, my dad had been receiving death threats. He'd been getting black, you know, notes from people to my mom saying, you know, you better buy a body bag or get a black dress. Um, uh, so there's an era uh, which was very really heavy um, in our lives. And uh, it was at this time where my dad chose a path of righteousness, true godly righteousness, that resulted in him losing his position as administrator of the hospital. And there was a national, it was called Day One. It was the 60 minutes of that day did a national program on his heroism. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and perseverance totally understood the facts on his side. So he wrote us a letter. Okay, this is my story of my dad of many. His letter to all of us children was along these lines. Hey, children, I love you. I've done all I can, but I've made mistakes. I'm flawed, and I take accountability for them. My flaws impacted you. My flaws affected the fabric of your lives. And I urge you now, while you're younger, while you're in college or post-college, I urge you to seek the healing of Christ. I urge you to seek the restoration and the transformation that he offers and not to go through life with having inherited, uh, if you will, the results of my flaws. And I have to say that was extremely powerful for me, and I pass it along to any of you listening. That is a momentous occasion for those of you who feel helpless over the direction maybe your kids, our grandkids have gone, they're out of the house, they're making decisions, maybe they're not going to Mass, maybe they're living together out of wedlock. Whatever the story may be, God still gives you a grace as a parent and a grandparent. And I'll say that, at least in my life, there was nothing more powerful in my life and my siblings' life to hear him express his deficiencies, to acknowledge them, and to encourage us to hand off the baton, if you will, as I mentioned earlier, to the Father in heaven. So a very powerful moment in our lives. So we're going to go right to these stories. And again, I'm going to say this. We invite you to share your stories. We have a number of here to share from folks in our community. And uh, of, again, honoring the Father, the theme for tonight. And uh, Steph's going to go first. Teresa Grodi. So this, again, is from Teresa. She says, I knew from a young age that my father gave up everything planned for his life to have me. Although he and my mom were, and still are, inseparable best friends, I was an unexpected pregnancy outside of wedlock. Mm. He literally gave his entire life so that I could be born and that I could grow up with a mother and a father. Mm. Because of their choice for me, they lived the rest of their lives in poverty, taking jobs so that my brother and sister and I could go to the best school. My dad is not perfect, but he demonstrated sacrificial, Christ-like love my whole life. There was never a doubt, even in a high-temper family like ours, <laughs> that he loved us and actively made choices to put our lives before his own. He took great care in planning camping trips with what meager dollars and cents we had and always treated my friends with a food tray or whatever he could put together in our home. 
My dad is the heart of my love for hospitality, mm. which now is one of the greatest gifts I possess for building up God's kingdom. I owe so much to my dad. His fidelity to my mom characterized the value and dignity with which I carried myself and set a high bar for the relationships in my life. As an imperfect person who strove deeply to sacrifice for our family in the ways he was Mm. capable, he showed me what it meant to forgive oneself and not to give up when we sin. Mm. Thank you, Mark Pangle, for giving your whole life for us. Happy Father's Day. I could have no greater father on earth beautiful so Teresa thanks for choking me up that is an, <laughs> yeah I might be doing the show solo in a moment well, here. beautiful My testimony sensitive husband. and uh, Mark just prayers lifted up in gratitude for you certainly your family your wife but what a wonderful testimony and Teresa just acknowledging the reality of our imperfection that you know it, without the mess we wouldn't need a messiah maybe younger when we're younger and I we're working through maybe even some of this with our children and adolescents. There can be a season where we focus just on the negative and uh, on the privation, but the beautiful maturity in this of maybe going from blame, and I don't see any blame in this, and I have no reason to believe there ever was, but to go from blame to gratitude and acknowledging God's grace uh, that appointed grace through him. So thanks so much for sharing that. So I'm going to share a story now from Greg Dobertine. He's my boy, uh, my motorcycle driving friend. Um, who's got, he, he names his two motorcycles. I don't know what they are, but a very, he's a riding. We've got to get him on here and tell friends. us a story sometime. But uh, he, we met Greg at the Ignite events many years ago and um, blessed to be on a lit group with him at Most Blessed Sacrament and often at monthly Catholic family gatherings. And he rides with the Crossbearers, an uh, awesome group of Catholic motorcyclists, I guess you'd call them, who are very committed to living for Christ and being disciples of Jesus. You'd see him with his uh, jacket and stuff. So that's really cool. Anyways, here's what he, he says on honoring his father. This is a very hard question. He says, we had not spoken in several years, my father and I, two very stubborn individuals. My four sisters had a birthday party for him. My mother and stepfather were invited and my dad and stepmother were there. My father went over to my mom and apologized for the rotten way he had treated my mother during the time they were married. After that, we got together and had a good relationship for the last 15 years of his life. I believe that was the hardest thing he's ever had to do in his life. I believe that helped me see that there is hope in this world. What a beautiful, thank you, Greg. What a beautiful testimony of the power of forgiveness. I'm, you know, echoing a little bit of my dad's words to us of apology. I mean, how many of us are feeling knots that need to be untangled? Mary, endure of knots, but just the power of setting people free when we apologize for things that we've done. I had a conversation with our oldest daughter very recently, and um, as she was talking with some of her siblings and um, and even some of her friends, just with different uh, struggles with parents or just kind of working things through or whatever, and she shared what I found was a gem. I don't think it was her original thing, but she said something that helped her realize that parents will never be perfect, will never be the ones to respond to every need um, that you may be having as a child or son or daughter or whatever, and uh, as a little person or even a young adult. And she said just to focus on the grace of the reality 
that our parents are children of God Mm. and all that that means, Mm. like still working it out, still children, Mm. you know, and, um, and it helped her put different things in perspective and was able to help others with that piece of wisdom. So I just thought that that was, you know, really cool. And uh, I share that with you, our listeners, also. So, folks, again, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter on this week that precedes Father's Day. And this isn't just a hallmark holiday. It's an occasion, even though it may have been initiated by secular forces, God works through the secular. God works in culture. This is maybe itself a good encouragement or challenge for us Catholics who may be tempted to think of sacred as just what takes place at that property on Sunday for an hour. And uh, to recognize, no, our homes and our physical bodies and our jobs and uh, entertainment, rightly understood, all is of the fabric of, of what God created. Some of it is distorted, right? Some of it because of us. But um, this is an occasion right now for us to speak life. It's an occasion for us to honor. It's an occasion for us to name uh, our gratitude for our fathers. So share that short story. Call in and share your short story of, or example of how your father uh, made a difference in your life. We'd love to hear from you. 877-275-8098. And here it comes again for those of you who missed it and finally have a pen and maybe some courage to call in. 877 275 so Diane Dudenhofer wrote woo-hoo. in a big woohoo for Diane um, to share this story about her dad. My father and I didn't get along, she says. Our relationship was a negative in my life until the Holy Spirit entered powerfully through the baptism in the spirits and revealed my own sinfulness in the relationship, mm-hmm. disobedience, disrespect, anger, and we reconciled. I learned to depend on God and to desire his wisdom, strength, and the power of repentance in my life. The Spirit continues to show me who my father was inside rather than who I saw him to be growing up. This new way of seeing has opened up more compassion for others in me rather than a judgmental outlook and much gratitude. More beautiful wisdom from our big sister in Christ, Diane Dudenhofer. And uh, what moves me with this piece, Stephanie, um, and it sort of echoes uh, uh, part of the book, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I encourage you folks all to read this. It's not about making money or rising to the, the corporate ladder. It's about being a successful human person. And it's based upon wisdom of all the people throughout the ages who exhibited Um, success. And one of the things that he addresses that Diane beautifully illustrates here is um, circles of influence. We can't so much influence others as we can make decisions to be whom we're meant to be, is to recognize our role in it. And Stephen shares uh, a story about his own kids, and he wants to help one of his children navigate out of some, uh, let's just say, less than good behavior. And it's just not happening. And Stephen says, well, maybe it's because of the way I'm acting or unconscious ways I'm thinking about my son. And he calls it rescripting, you know, for us to be just changing our hearts, changing our minds about the way we're responding to others itself has the effect of a mirror in front of them. And Diane is, is sort of suggesting here that, that illumination by the Holy Spirit, she says, of seeing her own sinfulness, regardless of what her father did, regardless of maybe feeling just in her anger and all this, but to open her heart and to see where she was at in responding negatively and responding to God's grace with that, had the occasion 
it seems, of an effect in his life to maybe uh, foster a better relationship. So who is that person with us right now, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a child, that maybe we've put them in a box and maybe we feel they've deserved it because they've just, they're in a pattern of unkindness or rudeness or whatever, and we just have anger and we think we're justified in it. Diane, her story's given us permission to say, well, look in the mirror. I, that all may be true, but look in the mirror and recognize maybe how we're settling for less, being less of whom God calls us to be. Don't be victims, but be victorious in God's spirit. And, and you know, be nurtured in that grace and start living in that grace regardless of what happens around you. Very powerful. Awesome. Another story here by Cheryl Shrum. She says, My dad was my example of quiet strength, meekness, and strong faith. He has served in the Society of St. Vincent de Paul almost 60 years and is why I serve with them now. At my wedding, he told my husband gently to get her to heaven. Mm. Go, Jim. Now that my mom is gone, he is always there to help me whenever I can. He has always said, keep the faith and prays for us. And that has molded my character and given me faith. And I have loved seeing him as a deacon for 40 years this August. So congratulations, deacon. And uh, such a blessed testimonial by your daughter, Mm -hmm. uh, Cheryl, for sharing that. That's awesome. And, you know, just, I guess what strikes me here, Steph, is um, how fathers pave the way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the study for uh, folks who can't be overstated that, you know, a mother could be fully, uh, thoroughly faith-filled, alive, active in her faith, but if the dad is absent and missing, the children have a 2% chance of persevering in their faith. It's just the way it is. This is not, you know, it's just human nature. These are secular studies. If the mom's totally engaged, gung-ho, in her faith, but the dad is missing, and grace can kick in here, of course, but if the dad is missing in action there's a 2% chance that the children will be engaged in their faith. However, if the dad is engaged in his faith, going to Mass, and the mom is completely out of the picture, the stats are as high as 67% that the children will continue. There's something embedded in us about the father. There's a uh, Gary Smalley book called The Blessing, which is very powerful. Uh, It traces just God's design of man throughout the Old Testament of men, of fathers in particular, and the power of the blessing. And the blessing certainly comes by way of our working hard fathers. It comes by way of our um, sacrificially doing what we can to physically provide. But there's also an actual blessing that many increasingly are becoming familiar with, and that's, you know, brothers just literally recognizing the power God gives us to put a hand on our children's heads, ideally on their shoulders, and praying for God's blessing in their lives, to anoint them as much as we possibly can do that. And we see that here in a certain way in Cheryl's testimony, that she is she's living in the blessing of a father mm. who has paved the way himself, and as a deacon, certainly cleric, is imparting that blessing to many others, but continues to for her that she's jubilant about. So beautiful. And I I get teary just with that phrase, you know, saying to her husband to be, get her to heaven, Mm. you know, just that, because that's what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, So you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter here on Annunciation Radio, Ignite Radio Live, and we are looking to honor our fathers, with Father's Day coming up this Sunday, just an opportunity for you to call in and share a way that your dad has taught you or a lesson you've learned or 
a way that he has inspired you. 877-275-8098. Or email us if you are shy and don't want to be on the phone at um, alive at massimpact.us. Alive at massimpact.us. So another story that somebody sent in, Liz Strang, a faithful listener and supporter of Annunciation Radio, um, she says, when I was in junior high, 1989, exclamation point, exclamation point, I was excited to go to a friend's slumber slash birthday party. While at school that day, my friend told me and the other girls going to her party that it was going to be a great night because a senior in high school was going to drive us to a nearby big town and buy us alcohol. All the girls were excited, but I told my friend I wouldn't go. I had to wait until the end of the school day to use the office telephone, and I called my dad and asked him to come to school and pick me up. I was upset because my fun weekend was ruined, and I knew I had just lost my friend. My dad said he was very proud of me for making the right choice, and he took me to the mall and told me I could buy any new outfit I wanted. Big deal, because as a farm kid, I rarely got to go to the big town and buy new clothes at the mall. He also told me he never liked my friend anyway (laughs) and told me I needed to look for better qualities in a friend. He was right. Soon I became best friends with a girl who was much more like me. And even though she moved to Europe after high school, we still remained good friends. What are your thoughts on that stuff? So it's just awesome. (laughs) I have a big smile on my face. Just the realism Right. And kind of that, certainly the, you know, being sympathetic and empathetic and, and, but getting that wisdom in there too, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and that Liz was receptive to it instead of just kind of staying perhaps what may have been a temptation, you know, just totally bummed and sad and, you know, accepting just kind of with her dad's, um, supports and encouragement, you know, was looking for the right things and friends and, and his honesty too. I didn't like her anyway. Mm, I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you kind of always give people a chance, right? But, um, it's a little fatherly humor often softens things and is yes. a comfort in a certain way. Sometimes they have little accentuations in language, at least my dad. And did, the fact that he took her to the mall is just kind of cool. Absolutely. You know, I, I asked this question as, um, Liz shares this beautiful story, honoring story, what if, what if Liz did not have the compass to overcome tremendous peer pressure? Like, what, what might the story have read had she not given in? Or had she given in, I should say. Had she gone along with the flow? Had she gone to the party? Had she, you know, drank? Had, had, who knows, you know, what step that might have gone in paving a different direction? You know, what if her dad hadn't imparted those values and hadn't created the impression, you know, uh, of his love for her and just a delight in getting her um, an outfit, if you will, and, and that whole thing. Um, you know, he could have just picked her up and gone home. Yeah, you're right. You know, been, you know, kind of tone deaf, if you will, to the situation. But maybe that's a point that I'm making here for the dad is he was, a, he was attuned emotionally mm-hmm. to her. And he's attuned to his power that God gave him to, uh, I mean, think about it. Here she is writing years later. It's still impacting her. It's still something that that is a treasured memory that she has of her dad. So to us dads, and maybe a little interjection here, Steph, we've been talking um, lately about this thing called emotional quotient 
or emotional intelligence. And I won't say too much about it, but it was a gathering of men at my house having cigars and some beverages, but a prayerful group of guys. And we were talking about how this emotional quotient concept is making its way, not simply as we think about our marriages and families and relationships, but it's making big business um, as a predictor of success, even more than intelligence, than IQ, intelligence quotient. Um, And it has a lot to do with um, being attuned to our own emotions, being attuned to another's emotions, and how to respond accordingly for the greatest good or the greatest outcome. How can we act upon those um, in a positive way? That's emotional quotient. And uh, we men are just chewing on this. I mean, two weeks, three weeks into this, and it's been around for a while, but your dad, Liz, exhibits that emotional quotient, at least in that example. And uh, any of you who are listening right now, men, um, and you want to learn more about this, you could send me the email at alive at massimpact.us, but there's a growing group of us men who are uh, really being blessed Some of us are business leaders with many employees who are um, bringing it into our workplaces with great hopes of it having a great effect. All of us are reflecting on this in light of our relationships with our daughters in particular, but our sons. Um, We're aware, if you will, spouses, absolutely, to, uh, you know, have a um, genuine language where we appropriately, not manipulatively, but appropriately share, if you will, the emotional reality that we have and attune to others. And I'll just say this in our car uh, or, you know, praying in our the Schleter home. You all know we do this lit gathering guide. We share our strengths and weaknesses and such. But I'll say there have been three or four times where I've simply said to the crew, to my our children and my wife, we're going to go around, guys, and I simply want you to share what are you feeling right now. Just to be in touch with, and it may be contentment, you know, what are some words, what's some language to describe that. But that's a simple question that is worth asking. And again, I'll repeat, big businesses are attuned to this as a predictor for success. It's not just a touchy-feely thing. This is what it means to be human. It's part of what it, the fabric of what it means to be human. It's not meant to drive the car, but it is certainly part of the, the vehicle that is us on a direction to heaven to be attuned to our emotions. So enough said on that um, and a beautiful example of it in Liz's story. Um, so here's a story by my brother, Bill Noltner. He candidly shares, my dad and I did not get along very well as I was growing up. There were a lot of things he and I did not see eye to eye on. I will say that one thing I always observed about my dad was the way he treated my mom. He adored her. They were very affectionate, and he always made it a priority to make her feel special. They knew how to have fun together. They talked about everything. And they talked through their differences. I very rarely saw them go to bed angry with each other. I know he would sacrifice everything for her, and I'm certain she knows that too. I've come to appreciate my dad's awesome display of marital love. They were not perfect people. They each had different interests. They had significantly different cultural upbringings, and they differed on many of their opinions about things. But... My dad did not try to force my mom to fit his vision of who he thought she should be. She did not do this to him either, for that matter. They were unselfish. They appreciated each other's differences and grew together. I try to emulate this aspect of my dad with my marriage. So far, the formula has worked. We'll see if we can make it to the 50-plus years they have achieved. Awesome testimonial, Bill. Very beautiful. That I thought of the the old quote: "The best thing that a parent can do for his or her children 
or the best thing that a father can do for mm. his children is to love his wife. And I think, you know, the same could be said vice versa, if you will, mm. but just the example and the impact and the security that that brings and the, um, again, just that long lasting example of in particular, I think for men, what it means for a, to learn how a man should treat a woman, you know, in, in that way of love. And I don't even think, you know, I'm sure that Bill's dad didn't do that intentionally thinking I'm going to set this example for my children. No, no, it was a genuine, beautiful thing. And the effect was, um, that example for Bill and his siblings and, and, you know, and trying to emulate that in their own lives. And I have to give a shout out to my brother, Bill, many men I could, but you, you shared this bill. You're, you're such a tremendous example to me. Uh, certainly from maybe your father's witness and upbringing, uh, affecting you of the solid compass and your honesty and looking at and teaching me how to look at things and want to improve. You're all about that, and you give great witness to that. And your your uh, EQ is really quite phenomenal here. Your awareness um, of the effect that your dad had on your mom and your mom had on your dad and, and trying to emulate it, as you say. And, uh, hey, folks, th- this is, you know, as we're doing this, and the beauty of this radio station is that we can connect. We can hear each other's voices. We can share our lives. We can open the door and be, try to be more candid and real. I think a big part of this Uh, sharing these stories and this honor and inviting you to call in and share um, is just the need that we're we're pining for real human connection. We're pining for something more than the script. We're pining for more than just triviality, certainly, but to get in touch with the realities that define us and define the people around us with the purpose of fostering true holy communion. I mean, this is a work of communion. This is a work of holy communion. So I just, it's an interesting connection, right? That on Sunday we partake of the body of Christ. That's called, that is the Holy Communion. And, you know, that is meant to be a proclamation of Holy Community. And right now we know with the devices, how isolating they are, you know, how people feel more depressed, more disassociated, more disconnected. You know, I'm just going to be honest and say, I think all of us, those of us who didn't grow up with digital stuff, and certainly those who grew up with it, um, we need to do some more work in recognizing this hunger we have for connection, and it's not going to be satisfied by checking our device. It's not going to be satisfied by sitting in front of electronic entertainment. There's a need for us to have the patience to sit down and learn how to open our hearts appropriately. And I'll say just as importantly, even more so, to listen to another's heart without thinking about what we want to say and that whole thing. That's the awesome movement that I see happening throughout the world and the Holy Spirit. You know, the second chapter of Acts, they all came from different nationalities, but they understood each other. It was a work of holy communion, of holy communication. It's a work of healing and restoration. That's what we're wanting to do here is invite people to give great testimony to God's grace alive in so many different ways. So Holly Malarski wrote in, My father planted the seed of faith in me. I've been struggling holding on to it since he died in November, but God has blessed me with fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers to help water that seed. Mm. Beautiful, short testimonial, but impactful. Absolutely. The idea of a sower and a seed we see in the gospel this past Sunday and uh, Jesus speaking using that metaphor and, uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure we don't see that in this testimony. I don't know Holly very well, but um, enough to know that our parents 
do plant these seeds in us of sacrifice, just that we're alive. Start there. And obviously seed is a physical thing too, right? Sperm and egg that becomes, in God's grace, an anointing, uh, irreplaceable soul destined for eternity. But then, Humanae Vitae, by the way, the 50th anniversary of Paul VI, uh, wonderful encyclical, which is in peril right now in the world, I should say, in a lot of ways in the practice. Um, You know, the 50th anniversary is July 25th coming up, but as it says in that, it's not simply the physical life parents are called to bring, but it's the spiritual life, that we are called to foster a supernatural growth of a human person and the soul that corresponds to the physical life. And Holly, thanks for your just great testimony to the fact that, yeah, that's what parents do. And, um, of course, I understand um, you've lost your father since he died and you're struggling with that, but uh, easy words to say. But, um, sister, to you and all the others right now who are grieving the loss of a loved one, just praying for the grace for you to know in this communion of saints, you're with them, they're with us, they're interceding for us, who knows, hopefully in purgatory and uh, hopefully in eternal life eventually, um, but they desire us to be with them far more than we could want them to be with us. Um, and how awesome that is. So just wanted to say a similar thing. So many of our listeners have lost their fathers who um, we pray by God's mercy are enjoying everlasting life with the ultimate father in heaven. But um, sometimes that pain is so raw and so real, mm. you know, even if somebody has lost their dad years and years and years ago, I know different conversations with people um, who really still mourn. And sometimes it comes in waves, you know, for some of our listeners, it's very recent, very fresh, you know, um, thinking of a couple families who've lost their dad this past year mm. um, and approaching their first father's day without him and just um, the difficulty in that. And they know it in their head and perhaps even in their hearts, you know, um, just God's, promises and comfort and we're not meant for this world and as you're saying they long to be with us far more than we long to be with them but yet just an acknowledgement of that real mourning and pain and grieving and to me that's part of the beauty of the relationship too you know those who love um a lot will mourn a lot right Mm, you know mm. just just in those ways and god is present in the morning he's literally absolutely absolutely and as catholics and i say this over and over again i feel on our radio show that how blessed we are as catholics to know without a doubt the power in the communion of saints just how we are so united Mm. you know that and that and, and that at every mass all of heaven is present there and in the eucharist the same Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity that we are privileged to partake in, to experience, to consume is the same Lord Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. that our loved ones, pray God, are, are, you know, with in heaven. And just like there's something very, very, very powerful, you know, with that. And they're interceding for us, you know, and Mm -hmm. just, again, it can be tough, but just the beauty of that and just holding on to that hope Mm -hmm. and um, and comfort and consolation. That's puts just one a grace. foot in heaven. I think that morning is a stretching out of our souls to that part of us that's already in heaven. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. That yearning, that longing, that missing is part of our souls already stretched into heaven and us yearning for that wholeness with them. We're, we're yearning for a unity and God, it will not be accomplished in this world, in this age. 
And so we are body and soul um, destined for that other place. We're going to read through some of these and uh, hopefully conclude with a really powerful story uh, briefly here. Um, another, I just want to make one more comment about Holly's uh, reflection. Sorry. Um, just the, the seed that was planted. I had encouragement to moms and dads, but dads in particular, spiritual heads of the house, just that sometimes you're not going to see it, right? Perhaps oftentimes you won't see it. It made me think of, um, and I don't remember the exact timing of it, but the the story of, you know, how long it takes bamboo to grow. Like it's years, I believe, by the time it comes out of the ground. And yet when it comes up, boy, does it come up and it's the strongest um you know, one of the strongest plants. So just kind of cool. So thank you, fathers, for your mm. seed planting. And those of you who are not seeing the fruit of that, you know, be patient. So this testimony by Nancy Rufa, my dad ran Curcios in Erie for many years. He also followed the Billy Graham Crusades. I remember sitting with him many times and watching Reverend Graham preach. This testimony by Irene Kazmarak. My father showed me how actions speak louder than words. I always remember him telling me, you can tell a lot about a person by their handshake and how they looked you in the eye. My first boyfriend had what he called a fish handshake and wouldn't look him in the eye. He figured out fast, parentheses, and he was right, by the way. Awesome. Judy Schleter, our dear mother. Who's that? My father was a man of great fortitude, integrity, and vision. He was unable to go to college, but valued the gift of college education. He was a man of liberal arts, a self-made, through the grace of God, leader, who was respected and greatly admired. But most of all, my father gave to us all a profound, authentic, and tender witness of love for my mother, Though successful in establishing founding father's skills, our family insurance industry, he and mom were known for their love for each other and passed this on to each of their children. Beautiful, again, just that Mm -hmm. example of love. And Kate Genovese, dear sweet Kate, says, I am the youngest of seven children. The age span is currently 72 through 55 years old. My dad was the oldest son of 16 children. He taught me you can never outgive God. God first in everything, and family is forever. He worked hard to provide for our family and sacrificed to put us all through Catholic school. She says, see you in heaven someday. I love you, George Schlatterer Sr. Folks, Steph, I'm going to ask you to come around and join me at this microphone. And folks, we're going to conclude. We do have, you know, eight minutes left here. But um, a book by Sister Emmanuel Mallard, Scandalous Mercy, short stories that are very powerful. Steph was telling me about this the other day, and I sat down and read the first one, and it was so profoundly moving that uh, I thought it would be very appropriate for this occasion. So it's a little bit longer, but you will find and appreciate every single word uh, of the story as it unveils. So we're going to alternate paragraphs. Again, a book by Sister Emmanuel Mallard uh, called Scandalous Mercy. Like reading hour with Greg and Stephanie. Yes, indeed. In the spring of 2015, while I was in Rome, I had the joy of finally meeting and being able to talk to the man I had been told was a hero. This is the author speaking. His name is Rafael Fiera de Brito. He is a young Brazilian with an angelic face, not very tall, curly hair, and a lively demeanor. His eyes are filled with joy and life, not to mention his humor. However, 
Raphael's mother, Ruth, was raped at the age of 16 by a 25-year-old man from Baratos near Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that is how the child was conceived in violence. His father then disappeared without ever knowing his son. A few months later, her uncle, who had drunk too much alcohol, started beating Ruth with a broom, saying, if you don't have an abortion, I'll take care of it myself. Ruth was seriously injured and rushed to the local hospital, which was dangerously lacking in hygiene. Almost none of the premature children born there survived. The doctors said, it's the mother or the child. They couldn't save them both. Ruth, who considered her own life to be a disaster, decided to let the child live. Her little boy was born at five months and 29 days. Doctors gave him no more than a few hours to live because of his viral his vital organs, like his lungs, were not yet fully developed. A nun, Sister Brigida, who died a few years later with a reputation of sanctity, worked in this maternity ward and asked the dying mother if she could baptize the boy. Whatever you do, the important thing is for him to live, said Ruth. He was supposed to be named Mark Aurelius, but the nun insisted that he receive the name of Raphael so that he could enjoy strong, angelic protection. She took a syringe and poured a few drops of water through the incubator where the child rested and baptized the boy. For six months, she took care of the newborn baby. To everyone's surprise, Ruth survived the surgery and was able to go back to work in the cotton fields. Eight months later, Raphael came out of this adventure unscathed and was entrusted to his grandmother for four years, then to his aunt until the age of eight. And his aunts, he was instructed by the Jehovah's Witnesses who instilled in him a straightforward dislike for Catholics and the Virgin Mary. He was eight years old and sold ice cream in the streets to make a living. These were Raphael's charming first steps in the world. He was happy enough until the day when tragedy struck that changed his whole life. That day was Father's Day, and Raphael was nine years old. At school, he saw his friends preparing drawings for their fathers, and he was deeply unhappy that he didn't have a dad to whom he could give the drawing he had made for this occasion. It must be so wonderful to have a dad, he said to himself. That evening, when it was time for prayers with the Jehovah Witness, he opened the book of the prophet Jeremiah and read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. As he read the passage, Raphael said to himself, So God is my father. He has known me since I was conceived. That night he asked the Lord to come and collect the gift he had prepared for Father's Day. His child's heart was certain that God would come in person, but nothing happened. God did not come. And in the morning, the gift was still there. At that precise moment, deeply disappointed and hurt, Raphael decided to no longer pray, convinced that God, like his father, abandoned him. As time went by, he started to go out with friends and use drugs, and he experienced all kinds of destructive behavior. For three years, he plunged headlong into the world of drugs, alcohol, and sex. Ecstasy made him go completely crazy during the parties. Yet on August 11th, 1998, at 5 in the afternoon, his life turned upside down in the middle of a party full of alcohol and drugs, a party that lasted for three days. This was the moment God chose to flood the life of Raphael with his mercy, and he did it in record time. Despite his young age, he was about 15, he was already completely high on drugs. Suddenly, one of his friends suggested they leave the place. 
strange, even more bizarre, the friend said to him, come with me to church. I'm going to receive my first Holy Communion. Raphael was wide-eyed because with his Jehovah's Witness upbringing, he had never set foot in a church. But he ended up going. Drunk and high on drugs, he sat at the very back of the church. Suddenly at the pulpit, a boy asked the assembly to pray for fathers, both present and absent, because Father's Day was celebrated that day. Raphael was in shock and started to shake. He thought to himself, Father's Day, an accursed day. Pray for fathers? No way. Never. Didn't my father leave me and completely disappear? I don't even know if he's still alive. For Raphael, this day was definitely the most sinister day of the year. The boy continued to speak at the pulpit, but this time he pointed to the assembly, giving Raphael the feeling that he was addressing him personally. The boy began to read the passage from prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Raphael fell to his knees and burst into tears. This was the second time he had heard the words of Jeremiah, and they echoed deeply inside him. After so many years, these words came back like a boomerang. He saw his entire life flash before his eyes like in a movie, and especially that moment when God didn't come to collect his gift. Then, while he was still kneeling, he heard a loud voice speaking in his heart, telling him, Raphael, you are my son. I did not come to take your present that day, because my gift is you. You are my greatest desire. Get up, change your life, and follow me. What follows, I'm abbreviating in interest of time, he had a powerful conversion and got engaged in ministry and taking care of people on the streets. And um, there's one incident where he uh, takes and um, invites five people to come into his home who are sick and on the streets, and one in particular takes him up on it. And uh, after a period of time and conversation, he discovers that this man who he takes into his home was his father. And it concludes, yes, Jesus had indeed come to collect the gift from this little broken-hearted orphan and had given him a gift as well, a gift which was a hundredfold greater. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for making us for you, fashioning us for your spirit. Awaken us all the more to the heart of a father who loves us so profoundly and help us to honor and love our fathers and recognize their image in you. We ask this all in your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.